millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Story time. I was a part of a special military police team in Washington State, back in 2009. I was only nine. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 19 at the time. We had to do SWAT team training exercises all across the state which meant we wouldn't have time to access our hometowns for several days at a time. This particular exercise required us to be in a small town, which I won't name but it's about an hour drive from eastern Washington, specifically Spokane. It was already late at night and we pulled up. Everything was quiet. It seemed like a peaceful small town, and the residents there seemed very secretive. They didn't go out much. It's a quaint community. 
a full of artists and musicians and creators. I could see why they would be weary of us. This location, made perfect for our training exercises. And there was an old farmhouse we used on the outskirts of town, with some woods containing all sorts of various wildlife. We weren't afraid of being bothered. This meant that there were plenty of places we could practice hiding and taking cover. Every member on my team had been briefed with this information during and before, including all the locations inside and outside the building, where possible threats can come from. We weren't expecting any trouble, but we had to be prepared. It was sometimes hard getting a grip on my squad mates, who were double my age. I guess they never truly anticipated somebody as young as me getting onto the force. We did performing training exercises in pairs or teams that night. We never had too much incident. Aside from your typical banter, that you'd expect amongst us guys. The team members were also assigned their respective rooms beforehand which they were responsible for guarding while others rested. Made sure the downstairs level was secure before going back upstairs. Where they were assigned various sleep locations all throughout the house depending on the room and the guard. After everybody had a place to sleep, we would make sure the doors were locked and secure. I was one of the last people to go upstairs. I had been assigned as team leader that night, since I was the most experienced agent at least at the time during this exercise. It was already well after midnight, when I finally got up there. I walked to the main hallway where all my teammates slept. Trying not to think about their latest fart jokes or weird sleeping positions making it difficult to walk by them. The old wooden floor creaked up with every step. And almost certainly, woke some of them up. But since everything seemed quiet and calm at first glance, they must have just assumed it was another creak from the old house. I got to the room that I was supposed to sleep in, which was this old dusty what I believe used to be maybe a library or something. I laid down on my bedroom and I was out pretty quickly. The rest of the night was fairly inactive. I spent most of my time there trying to get some sleep. But a noise awoke at around 3 in the morning, when it sounded like somebody outside was frantically slamming on the door trying to get in. I jumped on my bed thinking something terrible had happened. Since that was one of our procedures when the team leader hadn't checked in after a certain period of time. I woke up to a frantic screaming and gunshots. We were being attacked. I opened up the door, and saw one of my squad members about 10 feet away lying on the ground, not moving. Blood pouring from his neck. The room was trashed. Things scattered. In front of me, I saw yet another dead member of my team. Being dragged out by something large and hairy, and incredibly fast. To this day I still have nightmares about what happened. The creature that had been holding on to him looked somewhat canine, but also somewhat human. It had huge paws which it worked like hands and long black claws attached to them, dragging and digging, underneath the floorboards to get faster. It looked at its head to take notice of me, as I stared at it, in absolute horror. And it and I made eye contact. The creature was massive too. It had to be at least 10 feet tall and much wider than that. It looked like a werewolf, or something out of the thing, or some other science fiction horror film. It moved fast, using its claws and paws to rip apart my team members who were still trapped inside their respective rooms. 
I could hear them screaming from behind, closed doors as this creature ripped through everything in sight without remorse. I ran around the side of my house, where all of our vehicles were. My gun was inside one of them so I had to get there quickly. I made my way around the building and started trying every door in every vehicle we had. But it seemed like they were all looked up for safety purposes and nothing was going to happen. I decided that my best course of action would be to break a window, on the closest car which was an unmarked cruiser. Get inside as fast as possible. And after smashing through one of the back windows, I unlocked the door manually since pressing the central lock mechanism didn't seem to work. Even if the creature was close enough to see me, I was going to make a run for it. I looked behind me as I got into the vehicle, and saw the werewolf-looking thing crouching down next to one of the front windows inside. I would have gone back in there, but a huge crash from downstairs told me everybody else was dead, by this point. And I had to get out of there as fast as possible. Or risk dying myself. And unlike those poor souls who won't be getting up again after tonight, I still had a lot left to do. Starting with running away from this place without hesitation if at all possible. Because of this, I gunned it. Reversed as fast as I could down the driveway of the house, and onto the nearest road. All I saw was a bunch of trees in my rearview mirror. But at least there weren't any beasts to be seen anymore. I drove back to the station with no headlights or emergency lights. And they were all disabled during our operation. When I got there, everybody seemed surprised. The next few days after that were pretty surreal. The paramedics who came to pick up the bodies said there weren't any survivors besides myself. And nobody was going to believe what happened out there. I began having uncontrollable panic attacks. Spent some time in a mental ward and my mind just kept replaying it over and over again, until I couldn't function properly anymore. It's been many years since this happened, but I remember it just like it was yesterday. If anything, at least I know what kind of monster killed all of them. And I can't fathom its existence. All the way up until today where they put me in early retirement I never saw another one. Since then of course, I've heard of other stories about these creatures. Existing in various parts of the world. It makes me wonder why nobody else tells you about these things when you're a cop. Especially in more rural areas, where they seem to be sighted much more. We've seen a large uptake in these creatures' activity in the past 10, 20 years. They are unlike anything I've ever seen. And they're almost invisible when they move. It was like nothing I'd ever witnessed before my life. Something I hope to never see again. They were human-like, but with a demeanor similar to an animal and unlike anything else I've come across. Or anybody else for that matter. It wasn't afraid of us, even though we were armed. We had no idea what we were dealing with since this was kind of one of those things that isn't supposed to exist in real life. But after going through everything myself and seeing the aftermath it's a wonder that more people don't know about these things existing. Right under our noses. I can only assume that they must be some sort of mutated species from all the chemicals, running through our water supply. That makes them monsters. I don't really know how else to end this other than I hope you enjoyed the story. And know that I'm dealt with tremendous PTSD and all sorts of mental debilitating issues stemming from this.
long before I retired from being a sheriff. I'll never forget one event that has really unsettled me greatly. I was called out to investigate some possible livestock killings that appear to have been done by a large unknown canine. I had my weapon with me, though I hadn't expected to need it. It was the middle of the day and there wasn't any trace or sound of any creature around. Except for one lone dog barking in the distance. We poked around the scene but couldn't find anything more than what looked like exceptionally large wolf prints. The animals that were killed, were literally torn to shreds. Not eaten on and not picked at. Just torn to bloody pieces. As if whatever had killed them, did it just for the fun of killing. Now that's not normal for the animal kingdom. Wolves are predators. They prey on their victims. They'll graze on its corpse afterwards. But not this time. After that day, I would check the property frequently to make sure nothing else had been killed but it seemed like whatever it was had moved on. Since maybe it was aware of our presence. Even so, I always kept my weapon near me after that. I would never know if it was going to be near again. I never did see anything else unusual. Not until about a year or so later. This was the event that really unsettled me more. And helped me make my retirement come early. I was in town patrolling, when we got an alert. Saying somebody had seen something large. Like a large wolf running across a back road where these killings had been taking place. What stood out to them was just how abnormally large this wolf was. Easily the size of a car. We suspected that maybe, this was just a misidentification or an over-exaggeration. But perhaps it was just a lone wolf acting out of hunger. We couldn't get there fast enough to catch up to it. But we found traces of blood leading into some brush. I don't think I'll ever forget what came next. The trees parted and out from them charged this massive canine thing, just like the call had came. Easily the largest wolf we'd ever seen in our lives. It stood up, the way a man would on two legs. And looked at us with a hint of intelligence in its eyes. Its eyes alone pierced through me. Like it was looking inside of me, I could see my every thought. I can never get that image out of my head. Even after all these years later, we fired at it immediately. But it stood there without flinching. Then finally turning around, looking back at us and running back towards where the animals were. On the other side of the forest. The other men who saw it said they couldn't get a good look at its face or body. Just because of how fast it moved and the angle in which they were at, but I swear on everything that is still holy to me. It was a werewolf. I believe they're real. They may not be people that change under a full moon but they are certainly creatures out there that are real and they eat on the flesh of this world. I used to be the Air Force and at the time I was working night shift. Some people hate it. I personally love it as I'm naturally a night person. I had just gotten off of one of my standard 12-hour night shifts, uneventful night nothing out of the ordinary. I get off at 6 a.m. and proceed to go home. Now this is a very small base up north and it's the dead of winter. So at least minus 30 or below, but when you've lived there for that long you get thick blood and get used to it. The drive from work to my dorm was maybe a two-minute drive even when the roads are ice and snow-covered. So I reach my dorm, park like normal, 
walk up to my room like normal, use the bathroom like normal and strip down to just boxers so I can crash. But just to make sure it's set I go to check my phone to make sure the alarm is set, and it's around 8.30 am. The not be secluded is what makes this all the stranger. You hear about people losing track of time out in the middle of nowhere, or if their sense are deprived. I was surrounded by other people, albeit they were mostly sleeping, there was zero break in my memory of driving home from work and every step I took up to checking my phone. Yet somehow I had lost over two hours, and to this day I have no idea where that time went. If I would have fallen asleep at the wheel I would have for sure crashed due to the weather. I hadn't sat down in my dorm yet so if I would have dozed off there I would have ended up on the floor. I'm a very logical person and while I still lean to believe in some things that most people wouldn't I spent a long time trying to figure out and piece together what happened. But to this day, I've got nothing. This actually happened two nights ago. I was sleeping in the living room of a beach house, because the couch was the least creaky bed. I faced a big wall of windows and I was reading my book before bed facing the window. Anyways, I saw something out of the corner of my eye. It was big, long and moved quickly down. The second time, I thought it was a curl of my hair. Then I saw it again, with my hair away from my eyes. It swooped up that time. It could have been a large bird, but it was less than a foot from the window. I turned off the lights so I could see it better and I saw it one more time, going up. I stared for the next 45 minutes or so, and I didn't see it again. It was strange, I've never seen a big bird that close, and so many times in a row before. When I was 12, my snowmobile broke down about 15 miles into Carson National Forest in Red River, New Mexico on a private trail behind my granddad's house. It took me several hours to walk home and along the way, about halfway back, I crossed paths with a man. The last thing I expected to come across was another human since it was a private trail and it was already getting dark and he was headed into the wilderness instead of towards town. I didn't say anything to him and as soon as we crossed I ran and never looked back. To this day I wonder what he was doing there. My granddad told me of a guy named Brian O'Brien that lived in an old mine shaft somewhere around there but he had never seen him in his 30 plus years living in that area. Maybe I saw old Brian O'Brien that day. I had just gotten a few days off after a couple of really rough weeks on the force. The city where I worked had been hit with a new kind of drug and we had been kept busy by people tweaking out and unfortunately a large amount of overdoses. I was feeling rather bruised and traumatized by the events and so I picked somewhere quite a ways out of the city in order to get a few nights decent sleep. I knew it was pointless as I'd been having consistent nightmares, but being that far away at least I knew I couldn't get called back into the city to help out with another overdose. My friend had convinced me to let him come along with me. I really just wanted some time to myself but I also knew that I'd likely get bored. So I agreed and the two of us set off toward our Airbnb. The place was pretty isolated. 
The nearest houses were about a mile away on either side and there was a large hedge that separated the properties. It kind of felt like an entirely different world to me. I was excited and even more excited when I discovered there was a pool. The first night was pretty average I was annoyed with my friend because he had this insistent cough. He was a chain smoker and so he was always coughing and I got annoyed by it. But it was nothing serious enough to ruin my day in any way. We made some food, picked out a movie and chilled out the whole night. I woke up on the couch the next morning with the TV still blaring. It was the best night's sleep I'd had in weeks. I felt amazing. The only problem was, that by the following night, I was so wide awake that I couldn't sleep at all. My friend had always been a night owl so he suggested that we go for a dark walk and look at the stars. I couldn't refuse the offer, it was a pretty peaceful night and aside from my friend's coughing I enjoyed the walk. The next night we decided to do the same except that when we got home things got really weird. First as we approached the house, all the lights turned off before we even set foot inside. We had deliberately left them on so we could find our way into the house easily. We considered that maybe the power had tripped but when we checked all the light switches were down and in the off position. We found it strange but managed to convince ourselves that it was just our imaginations. And that it could be explained by something else. Then a few hours later, I heard a cough from outside. I recognized it as my friend's cough and wondered what he was doing outside. It sounded like he was by the pool, but it was a particularly cold night. I worried that maybe something was wrong so I headed through the house and towards the door by the pool. As I put my hand on the door handle, I heard my friend speaking behind me from the kitchen. I heard the cough too and I thought it was you, he said. I thought it was you. I responded, my heart skipping a beat. My friend swallowed loudly and looked at the door taking a quiet step closer. Then we heard the cough again. The second cough sounded exactly like the first cough which sounded exactly like my friend. My hands were shaking with fear. At that time I was worried there was another person out there in the dark. In the middle of nowhere. I reached for a kitchen knife and so did my friend. We knew we would have to go and investigate the source of the cough. I gripped the handle of the knife and pulled the door open. My friend and I marched outside ready to confront whoever had been waiting for us. But we didn't find anyone. Instead we were met with a large wolf. I say wolf because that's the closest description I could have for it. Its fur was patchy and matted. It looked as if it had bruises all over its body. It was facing the door where we had walked, as if it was waiting to see who would walk through it. It stared us down glancing at the knives in our hands. Then it did something so undog-like that it still gives me chills to this day. It smiled. And shook its head. Before turning around and heading directly back down the driveway. It was as if it had acknowledged us and that it had been outnumbered. So it just left. My friend and I ran back into the house, both of us speaking incoherently about what we'd seen. I'm not much of a believer but my friend is very superstitious. He kept saying that we needed to leave because the skinwalker had found us. We did pack up and leave that night and I still wonder if my friend was right. There was something in the way the dog smiled and shook its head that seemed a little too human for my like.
So I used to work night shift at a warehouse. On weekends now, same warehouse. I left early at midnight one night to go for a ride on my motorcycle. Around 2 or 3 am I found myself at the top of a mountain on the middle of a bridge separating two sections of a lake and a state park with nothing but water around me and then a tree line and woods around that. I got off my bike and turned it off to have a cigarette. The only light was coming from the tip of my smoke and the occasional blue flash from my Cena headset on my helmet. I looked out into the abyss and on the black water was this tall white figure, like a woman in a wedding dress, not in but on the water, like standing on top of it. I felt like we were just watching each other, both standing there motionless. About halfway through my smoke I heard a pack of wolves howl really close by, as if they were on the tree line at the end of the bridge probably drawn to the blue light and the smell of tobacco. I immediately got on my bike because I knew if I waited even a minute too long they could cross the bridge and reach me before I even had a chance to get my helmet back on and strapped. Before leaving I turned my handlebars toward where the woman was standing to shine my headlight on the spot. My rationale was my eyes must be playing tricks on me. Perhaps there's some old concrete structure in the water or a down birch tree. Nothing. No structures, no trees, absolutely nothing but perfectly still, jet black water, and no woman. I turned my handlebars forward ready to leave and gave one last look into the darkness. She was back. Standing in the same spot on the water watching me. I didn't know what to do. All the hairs on my body were standing so far on end it felt like they were about to jump out of my skin. Clueless and terrified I gave her a small nod and high-tailed it out of there, leaving the woman on the lake and the wolves behind. For months before that my shitty track phone from Walmart stopped getting data but when I got home that night slash morning it was suddenly working again. To this day I feel like that white figure on the lake fixed my phone. Last year a couple friends and I were on a long road trip, and we were driving through the night on our way from the Grand Canyon toward Denver. We had just crossed into Utah from Arizona, I think on or near US 191, and we decided to pull over and stargaze. It's mostly desert out there. It was a gorgeous night and initially it was peaceful, but after a few minutes we began to hear this weird pounding noise. At first I assumed it was something blowing in the wind or some agricultural equipment, but it started getting louder and sounded like it was coming closer. It sounded kind of like a deep drum, but not close enough for that to be it. We got creeped out and agreed to find another spot. I drove for 15 minutes or so and pulled over again. Our new spot was nice and quiet. We were tossing jokes around about being such wimps and trying to calm down. I wandered away from the group, and after 10 minutes or so I thought I heard the noise again, coming from the same direction we had just come from. It was very faint. I tried telling myself that I was being crazy, and rejoined my friends. They were hearing it too, and it was unmistakably getting louder. It was incredibly unnerving. We ran back to the car and hightailed it out of there, panicked for the next hour or so. I'm sure there was a totally innocuous explanation, but at the time it seemed drums in the deep serious. I used to work for the Chico County Sheriff back in the mid-90s. 
Chico really is the ass end of nowhere, the poorest place in the entire state of Arkansas. Back when I was a deputy, there were never more than about 10,000 people in the entire county, it was and still is the kind of place that people drive through without a second thought. But I think about Chico a whole lot, I think about it every day, sometimes it's all I can think about, no matter how much booze I sink, or how many pills I take. Back in the fall of 96, Chico started to become flooded with a kind of low-grade crystal methamphetamine that we called crank or biker meth. High-grade meth forms crystals, hence the name, but the low-quality stuff is just a powdery white substance that can burn up the user's throat because of the crap it's cut with. We were finding that junk everywhere, it was decimating the poor folks out there. It was in the schools, in the bars, even in the churches, we arrested this one kid who had been awake all weekend and had sat there twitching in the pews until the collection plate came around. Didn't even care that people saw him take the money either, and was too messed up to even have any means of a getaway. Violent crime skyrocketed in the space of about four months, things were getting out of control. We were picking up tweakers from all over that were making pilgrimages to Chico just to spend their money on the cheapest dirtiest crystal we at the department had ever seen. I put cuffs on guys from Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, even as far away as Indiana. The county sheriff even got a call from the governor who demanded something be done about it all, and as you can imagine, all that fecal matter rolled straight downhill. But we had no idea where this stuff was coming from. Anyone we picked up for selling wouldn't talk about who they got it from no matter what we threatened them with. They were like crystal commandos, and from my experience that's just not like tweakers to cover for each other. They'll do anything to stay out of jail because it usually means a forced detox. But these dealers, they kept their mouths shut like they were full-blooded mafia, La Crystal Nostra or something, like they were more scared of the guys selling it to them than they were of us. We bagged one guy with six pounds of the stuff, and it was me that drove him over to the county for booking. Afterward, I went back to my car and there was all this mud just caked onto the floor under the back seats of my cruiser. I mean it was everywhere, it smelled real bad, and I was pissed that he'd made such a goddamn mess. But then it hit me, all that mud had to have come from somewhere, right? And by the looks of things, we'd managed to bag the guy just as he'd gotten a re-up from his connection. So wherever this guy had just come from was muddy, real muddy, like maybe somewhere out near the Mississippi or one of the lakes there in Chico. I decided to take drive, just to see what I could see, maybe a little walk too if the feeling took me. Besides, what was the worst that could happen, I found our crystal cooks and brought them in for the big win. Well as it turns out, that actually was the worst thing that could happen, and afterwards, I'd never be the same again. I spent a lot of time fishing with my pa when I was a kid, that's pretty much all there was to do in Chico, a county of over 40 separate lakes and reservoirs, and I'd been to almost all of them. Most of the shorelines are shale or sandy soil, but one particular shoreline is pure mud, one you're going to lose your shoes in if you don't have the foresight to wear rubber boots. And it has the infinitely creative but descriptive name of Mud Lake. And it was Mud Lake that I decided to take drive to that afternoon. The lake itself isn't too popular with fishermen, not unless you're looking for some monster catfish, 
and those things can be much more trouble than they're worth to reel in. So as I'm tracing the edges of it on foot, I thought it pretty strange to see a trail of smoke wafting up through some trees around the other side. I mean it was faint, real faint, and maybe if the wind had been blowing just a little I'd have never even seen it at all. But it was eerily still that day, and just as quiet. It took me about 20 to 30 minutes of walking, but I traced the edge of the lake, right around to the rough area I could see the smoke. The closer I got to the source, the more I began to smell this disgusting, putrid stench, almost like a mix of rotten eggs and cat piss. I also noticed that patches of what would have otherwise been healthy plant life had started to die, like whatever I was closing in on was death itself, how no life could survive near it. I thought about turning back a few times, but eventually came across what I can only describe as a series of wood panel and corrugated iron shacks. I know I should have called out to see if anyone was home, or announced myself as a deputy and demand that whoever was inside should come out, but the feeling of dread in the pit on my stomach just seemed to stop any words from coming out of my mouth. Cops don't go by the book all the time, especially not small town deputies like me. Besides, I couldn't hear anything coming from inside any of the shacks, and aside from the small campfire burning in a clearing between the shacks, there were little signs of human inhabitancy. I pushed open the door to one of the shacks with my .44 drawn and immediately recoiled at the fumes that came out. I'd never actually seen a working meth lab before, but I didn't need any narcotics expert to tell me that's exactly what I'd just seen. There was all kinds of trash strewn around in there. Discarded packaging from cold medicine, batteries that had been cut open, used coffee filters, and that wasn't including all the improved glassware set up on a small table. That and I'd heard stories of- Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. About how bad they smelled from all the chemicals being mixed up in them, which must have been where that cat piss smell was coming from. I backed off from the shack, coughing and spluttering, feeling nauseous with my eyes streaming. I felt awful, but at the same time, kind of elated. I was almost certain I'd found our meth cook. It was only when I searched the other shacks that I began to really freak out. The first one was evidently some kind of sleeping area, with two camping cots set up on either side of the shack. Only the thing was, they didn't look used at all, they were covered in the same kind of trash that was strewn about the lab shack, gas canisters, tubs of what looked like raw chemical ingredients. Whoever used those shacks obviously didn't sleep much, if at all. There was also rolls of dollar bills all over the place, these guys weren't taking care of their profits at all it seemed. Either they were making too much money to account for it all, or money just didn't matter to them, and that was a terrifying prospect to me. Whoever was flooding Chico with crank wasn't doing it for the cash, they were doing it for some other reason entirely but it was the things that were written on the wood wall panels that really got my attention. 
All kinds of weird phrases and symbols had been scrawled on the walls in what appeared to be black marker pen, stuff in chicken scratch handwriting so bad I could barely make any of the words out that was interspersed with skulls, devil-looking things and little black stars. I backed out of this second shack, and went to check on the third, which was by far the worst one of all. There was another rotten smell coming from behind a flimsy wooden door, but this one was from something very different to a meth lab, and when I peeked inside, I almost puked from how bad it was. Surrounded by yet more piles of trash and money was a big old wooden stake that looked like it had been driven into the ground as deep as it had possibly go. And tied to that wooden stake was the most mutilated dead body I'd ever seen in all my years of police work. Whoever it was had been dead for a while, but they hadn't completely decomposed yet, and there were so many flying insects and maggots crawling over their face and body that at first it kind of looked like they were moving. I'm not sure how much the damage had been inflicted while they were still alive, and I pray that most of the mutilation had been done post-mortem, but the look of agony of the corpse's face makes that almost impossible to imagine. The poor soul tied to that stake that'd been scalped, had one of their eyes removed, had teeth pulled, fingers cut off with the stumps looking like they'd been cauterized to stop them from bleeding too much. There were deep, dark-looking patterns of cuts around their face that suggested they'd been carved up in a kind of ritualistic way while they were still alive. The same kind of black burn marks on their finger stumps were present on the torso and thighs too, looking almost like cigarette burns, but like they'd been inflicted by something bigger. There were many other wounds on the body that would have required a coroner to really be able to tell how they were inflicted, but one thing was clear to me, whoever this was had been tortured, maybe even to death. Then right as I'm about to turn around to head back to my cruiser and radio the whole thing in, I hear something moving through the trees behind me. I spin around to see the filthiest son of a bitch I'd ever seen, just walking through the trees in nothing but boots, a pair of piss-stained white briefs, a shin holster with what looked like a hunting knife tucked into it, and a gas mark. He had some kind of our variant slung over his shoulder too, but luckily I had my .44 trained on him before he could react and reach for it. I told him not to move or I'd put him down, and at first he starts raising his hands nice and slow. All I could see of his face was the cold, dead gaze that stared back at me through the misty, clear plastic eye holes of his gas mask. There was just nothing behind them, like they were a doll's eyes or something, alive but, not alive. Then I heard something moving behind me, and I figured it might have been his partner, or whoever the second camping cot belonged to, and for just a second I was dumb enough to give this guy my back out of fear his partner was trying to sneak up on me. But it must have been a possum or something, running through the woods, because there was nothing there when I turned, and by the time I looked back, the guy in the gas mask was unshouldering his rifle and prepping to fire. I let off three shots at him, and I'm pretty sure I missed every one. In return, he lets off an automatic burst of rifle fire that ripped up the shacks behind me, and somehow, either from the poor vision of his mask or the recoil of the rifle, he managed to miss me too. Next thing I know I'm running through the trees, trying to use the trunks for cover in between looking for a solid position to return fire. I can hear this guy barking like a rabid dog while he chases me, and I fire three more shots in a running gun battle that leaves my .44 empty. 
He replies with another burst of rifle fire, and although it didn't feel like I'd been hit right away, I suddenly found I wasn't able to run anymore, like I suddenly lost all feeling in my right shin. I hear him make this muted whooping sound, like he must have seen me go down and realize one of his shots had hit the mark, but from the lack of follow-up fire I figured he too must be out of ammo. I didn't see any spare magazines on him, he was half naked after all, but he did have that knife on him, and I could hear him hollering about how he was going to use it on me as he took off after me through the trees. The whole time I'm reloading my .44, I'm thinking about the state of the body back there in the third shack, how no one but me knew I was out there, how he'd have all the time in the world to work me over, just as I'm assuming he'd done to that poor son of a bitch tied to the stake. That was the most afraid I'd ever been in my entire life. Every single other emotion pales in comparison to the intensity of that fear. I was shaking so bad I could barely load my revolver, even with the speed loader I could barely manage it. But somehow, I did, rolling onto my back and aiming just in time to see that sick bastard coming through the trees at me with his knife in his hand. I put all six bullets into him, and then watched him collapse into the dirt like a sack full of rocks. It wasn't over though, I still had to crawl back through the mud and the blood to my cruiser, and I had to snake past the cook's dead body in order to do so. The whole time I'm crawling past him. I was expecting his eyes to just open up suddenly like a horror movie or something, for him to roll onto my back and plunge that hunting knife into my neck while I was trying to crawl away. Every second was drawn out, my heart racing as I tried to keep one eye on the guy and one eye ahead of me. But he didn't wake up, no one just gets up after taking since .44 slugs to the chest. I was retired on medical grounds not long after. Doctors said the bullet that hit me fractured when it hit the shin bone, and there's been a piece of lead still stuck in my right leg ever since, meaning I now walk with a permanent limp. But that's just the physical scarring of what I went through that day. Sometimes I think the mental after effects have been far worse. I barely slept a wink for months, and if I actually did manage to drift off after drinking myself into a stupor, the nightmares would be enough to have me waking up screaming having soaked the bedsheets with cold sweat. It got so bad that my wife couldn't sleep in the same bed as me until hours upon hours of therapy sessions gave me some small measure of closure. I thought for a while she might divorce me, because the man that came back from Mudlake just wasn't the same as the one that drove out there. I'm doing much better now, me and the wife are still together, and we live down in Florida, quite comfortably too thanks to the compensation I got from the government. I got a medal of valor from them too, something most guy would keep on display somewhere. But I keep that thing locked away in a drawer. My therapist recommended I write something like this to help process what happened back at Mud Lake, thinking that it might help me get past it. I told him I'd rather just forget, but I know that's not possible, that the memories of Mud Lake will stay with me, until I'm as dead as the cook in his gas mask. Sailing solo for over two weeks at this time in the Atlantic, heard some strange noises on deck. Had a peek and saw a group of three men huddled around the mast. They were dressed in, what I assumed was, 18th century sailors gear, tri-corner style hats and all. 
I called to them and they all stopped talking to each other, turned to look at me, then vanished before my eyes. I've heard weird noises but never anything like this before or since. One of the worst things that ever happened to me during my time serving as a police officer, was when I answered a routine wellness check on an old lady in a pretty decent part of town. It was pretty late at night when the phone call came in, which already struck me as odd. When I got to the complaints house, the first thing I did was ask her why she had called me so late at night. She explained that she didn't mean for it to be such an odd hour but her and her husband had both been talking about the elderly neighbor when they realized they hadn't seen her in weeks. They explained that they tried to call her but had no luck at all. After gathering some more information, I learned that the neighbor was an elderly lady with little to no family. She had a pretty set routine. She'd wake up get the paper and go for a stroll to the end of the street. Already this caused some concern. It's always great when neighbors know these kinds of routines that way they know when something's wrong. They followed me over to the neighbor's house and I knocked on the door, loud enough that someone who might be hearing impaired would hear it. I called out her name. When she didn't answer I went around the house and peered through all the windows. I was expecting to see a body on the floor, or the lady passed away on her living room chair or something. But I saw nothing at all. It wasn't until we went around the back of the house that I got really concerned. The back door seemed to have been broken to the point where it was swinging open a little. I immediately looked for tool marks and reached for my weapon. There were no tool marks on the door but there were deep scratch marks. I noted it is odd but still at this point, I assumed that a human being had broken in and that some harm had come of the elderly woman. I told the complainant and her husband to wait outside. They stopped me before going in and explained that everyone in the street had been complaining about an animal scratching at their doors and killing their pets. I took a deep breath, acknowledged their statement and entered the residence. There was something about the deep concern in their eyes that had me unsettled. It made me feel like they knew more than they were willing to share with me. I called from inside for them to move around to the front of the house while I walked through, checking the rooms. All the rooms were clear so I called in for another police officer to join me at the scene. Other than some knocked over perfume bottles, it really looked like the woman had just vanished from her home. There was no real sign of a struggle and the only noteworthy evidence was the broken down door. And the fact that the house stank. We took some statements, checked the surrounding area and left to file the report. A few days later I received a call from the same complainants. They said that there was a huge amount of noise coming from the missing lady's house. I rushed over there expecting to meet some squatters. When I got there, the complainant's husband was standing in front of the house with his shotgun ready. I told him to stand down and approach the house. They weren't wrong, the noise that was coming from the house was massively loud. I could hear stuff breaking, banging against the walls. It was as if a tornado was moving through there. I waited for backup that arrived only a minute later, and we entered the house. I already knew the layout of the house, so I made my way straight towards where the sound was coming from. When I stepped into the woman's bedroom, I was met with a creature that I'm certain is nothing like what we've encountered before. Imagine a ridgeback dog but about twice the size and completely out of control.
It was trashing the room, large drops of saliva dripping from its jaw. It moved faster than I could aim at it and it seemed to be moving largely on its hind legs. My partner joined me only a few moments later and he shouted. What the hell is that? The sound of him shouting startled the creature and it bolted for the door. I fired a shot but missed and before I knew it, me and my partner were on the ground as it pushed past us with immense force. We ran after it but it was gone. That day we filed the most bizarre report I've ever had to file in my life. We've still never found the missing old lady and have never been able to identify which creature it was that was trashing the house that day. It's unclear if it was involved in the disappearance of the old lady. But I'm certain that it was. After college I got a temp job working with local law enforcement. It was a six-month contract and it paid well so I was glad to get it. I found a furnished apartment that let me rent month to month. It was on the top floor of a three-story building. It was pretty big and had nice hardwood floors. The walls were kind of thin and I could hear my neighbors sometimes, especially at night when it was quiet. When I first moved in, I knocked on the neighbor's door a few times to introduce myself. But they never answered the door even though I thought I heard them inside. I figured they didn't like answering the door if they weren't expecting somebody. Anyway, I slipped a note under the door just saying hello and giving my name. I worked with the same officers all the time on rotating shifts. After I'd been there a few weeks, I was on the evening shift which meant I got home around 2 AM. One night I was heading down the hallway of my building and saw a light coming from under my neighbor's door and I saw the shadow of feet under the door. It looked like the people had gone dark as if they heard me and were looking to see who was in the hall. I figured if they wanted to say hello, they would have opened the door so I just kind of waved and went to my apartment. Over the next couple of weeks this happened three four times, seemed like I had a reclusive but nosy neighbor. One night after work I got into bed and heard my neighbor moving around in their room on the other side of my bedroom wall. The noises got louder and I started getting worried. They had never been that loud and it almost sounded like they were being attacked or having a heart attack and knocking things over. I ran out and banged on their door but they didn't answer. I called out saying I was worried and if they didn't answer I'd call for help. Still no answer. I ran to my apartment and called the police station and asked my coworker to send someone over. I headed down to the lobby to wait for the officer who showed up within five minutes. I'd gotten to know him a bit and we went up and knocked on the door but still no answer. I took him into my apartment, and we could still hear loud thumps every five or ten seconds and then a huge bang. The officer asked if I could contact the building manager to open the door. I called her up. Luckily she was a night owl and she was up watching TV. I told her what was happening and she said she'd head over. She lived close by. She got there and asked which apartment it was, I told her 306. She looked at me weirdly and said 306 is empty. I said I'd heard my neighbor making noise almost every day. The officer said he heard the noises too. And asked if 306 was the apartment that was above the carport. She said it was. He said someone could have climbed up onto the carport and maybe there were squatters in the empty apartment. The manager unlocked the door. The apartment was dark and she turned the light on. 
The officer went into the bedroom and came back saying it was empty. The place was spotless, all but two of the windows were locked and there was no sign of squatters. We just stood there, confused, the officer said you're not crazy I heard the banging too. I said maybe we scared them off and they'd left through the unlocked windows. We locked the two windows and on our way out I looked down and saw the note I slipped under the door a few weeks earlier. I said I'd let them know if the noise is kept up. A few weeks later, when I was on the evening shift again, I got home about 2 and saw the light under the door of 306. I went into my bedroom and heard the thumping next door. I called for an officer to come out and call the building manager. A different officer showed up and I knew him too. The manager arrived and unlocked the door. The officer went in and everything checked out. All the windows were locked. I apologized and tried to rationalize it, but there was definitely no good explanation. A few weeks later the apartment was rented out and I got the chance to meet the new neighbors. I told them to keep an eye out because we thought maybe squatters had been getting in. I told them what had been happening. My last week there, the station had a barbecue and we were talking about the squatters that no one ever saw. I told the first officer about the second call and how the windows were locked that time but I knew I'd seen the light on and heard thumping. He asked if I wanted to hear something strange. He said he was going to tell me earlier, but didn't want to freak me out. He said that three months before I moved in, he personally responded to a call to my neighbor's apartment for a self-harm. The man had hung himself and was unconscious. It seemed like he might have panicked in a chair and lamp and side table had been knocked over. Like he'd been kicking out in every direction. Unfortunately, he passed away before getting to the hospital. I just stared at him in disbelief. I asked the building manager about it the day I moved out and asked why she hadn't told me. She said that it was just policy not to bring up stuff like that. I don't know if it would have helped or not to be told about it, and I still can't even believe it. There is 10,000 of them. 10,000 files that I was never meant to know existed. I found them by accident, by pure fluke. Now as much as I should never be telling anyone about this, I need to get it off my chest. I was working my shift. It was a quiet day as I work in a precinct in a rather small town. My laptop had been sent in for some updates and repairs and all that, so I was without a computer. However, I really needed to get some information out of one of those case files. My boss said that I could use his computer quickly as he was already logged into the system. He left to get himself a cup of coffee and I was left there to get the information that I needed. Now I should have looked at the necessary file, closed it, and carried on with my life. But something caught my attention. There was a small tab on the bottom of the screen with a symbol that I didn't recognize. Without thinking I clicked on it. A secondary police filing system opened in front of me. Immediately I heard that red flag siren go off in my brain. But for some stupid reason, I kept looking. There were thousands and thousands of case files all labeled PSW. Followed by a number. I picked one at random and opened the file. Inside was a report of a woman who claimed she'd seen a hideous creature in her backyard. The file said that a police officer was sent out to take a look and shot a creature, killing it. 
The case was then handed over to somebody else to handle. It seemed odd to me because it didn't sound like anything out of the ordinary. That is until I opened the photographs. I saw what looked like autopsy photographs. The creature had, what looked like a human heart and two rows of teeth. I couldn't quite understand what I was seeing so I closed the file and opened another one. It was a similar story about a similar creature. I took a look at the list of files and noticed that they dated way way back. I didn't understand what was going on and assumed that I must have been out of my mind. So I minimized it, left to go back to my desk carrying on working doing my best to forget about it. That was until one day when I was called out because of a report, of a strange creature in an old man's yard. His yard bordered a large forest and when I got there I saw what looked like massive dog tracks. I took the man's statement and agreed to take a look in the nearby trees to make sure the creature had truly left. I had walked only a few feet into the tree line when I saw it. It looked like a large hound of some kind and it watched me intently. I recognized it immediately as the same creature that I had seen photographs of in one of those files. My breath caught in my throat as I stared towards it, it stood completely still waiting for me to come closer as if it knew I wanted to get a better look at it. Even though it was a warm day, its breath still made clouds in front of it. Meaning it was running very hot. Then it growled, baring its teeth at me. And I noticed the same double row of teeth. I immediately drew my weapon and fired. But the creature was too quick and scampered away, my bullet only grazing it on the hind leg. The homeowner had been startled to hear a gunshot. And because my weapon had been fired, further reports had to be made. I had a hard time putting it all into words as it seemed so far-fetched. Once my report was done, it was requested that it be handed to my boss directly for checking. I'm pretty sure my experience and report lies tucked away with the thousands of others on the police database. That only a select few even know exist. I was in a small bush plane a while back for a pretty routine and recreational flight, a longer one. We flew way out of radio range of anything, and there was nothing on the radio at all, not on any channel. Good weather but nobody in the air or on the ground in that area due to how remote and difficult to get to it was, and due to it being a small area population-wise, few people had a plane, and therefore it never happened that two people with planes were in the same area at once, as all the pilots knew each other and discussed plans for flights in the future. Completely alone, myself and the pilot. Even though there was the roar of the engine it was pretty peaceful, the landscape was really breathtaking below us and the sun shone beautifully off the trees. Bored, I scrolled the radio channels receiving only static or nothing. Then it happened, the radio cut out and shut off. Not like, no audio. Like, off. No power. Dead. Unsettling as it was I chalked it up to equipment failure and turned back to the sky. After about 10 seconds the radio powers on and, at full volume in the scariest, most raspy voice you can imagine, a woman whisper screams help me and then the radio powers back off. That shit was clear as day, the damn sending radio might as well have been in the back seat of the plane with how well the signal was picked up. Not a spit of static. Freaked out to F I looked at the pilot and said what the actual F was that? And he said dude I have no idea, 
check that radio, while simultaneously scanning the ground for signs of life. The signal must have originated from somewhere close. So I begin to examine this radio, turn the dial to off, back on again. It powers up and goes back to what it was, now picking up very faint, staticky signals from another pilot further off. A few minutes later those signals sound a bit better and my pilot radios the other and asks about the transmission we heard. They heard nothing. Later that week the pilots went for beers and my pilot that day asked them all. They heard nothing. Two days later a woman was found dead in the wilderness after breaking her leg while hiking and starving to death. She didn't have a radio with her near her setup, which is close to where they think she broke her leg, as the wound would not have let her walk well, and the terrain was poor for hiking anyways. Never did find out the source, but I try not to think about that day, and I don't fiddle with the radio anymore when I do fly. F me, I cry almost just remembering. Okay so I was traveling, this is in Australia for context, and I was at this campsite about 20 minutes past a small town and had gotten there about an hour-ish after dark. Now I was the only person there and when I called the off-site caretaker to book he said that since it was just me that I could use the day shelter slash kitchen, so instead of setting up my tent in the dark I decided to drag my sleeping bag inside where I had some actual light. Since I had a portable internet connection I opened up Reddit and by chance started to read a thread very much like this one. Hours later I realized I required something for my car so I drag open the sliding door and this wasn't a small door it was one of those big loud ones like you would see on a barn. I was looking out into the darkness as there was no lights or moon just the glow from the lights behind me. Now in case you have never been in a situation like this the light reaches about 10 meters and then has about 1 meter where it drops off into nothingness. And in this small patch I saw 4 legs. These were not just normal legs they were like those of a dog and long like human leg length long and they were bright white and stretched up to where they should connect to the body of the animal but there was nothing there. Then it began to move. The legs walked. They walked in parallel to the building making sure that they remained in that grey corridor then disappeared into the darkness. I slept barricaded in the tiny office. To this day I don't know what they were, and I have looked into it, nor do I know how long they were there before I saw it. But I do know that that thing was smart enough to know how humans see and where the grey corridor was from my viewpoint. So, I was spending part of the night guarding a trailer full of blank ammunition out at Fort AP Hill. The ammo was for expert infantrymen badge qualifications, and I was on hand to assist the training. I got shafted out of qualifying, long story. So there I sit with my buddy, in a GP medium, guarding this stupid trailer in the middle of the night by sitting next to the kerosene heater because it's cold out. No one's going to F with the trailer. It's too damn cold for shenanigans. We pass some time in the general way the E4 Mafia will shooting the shit, random wrestling matches, and wishing we were somewhere else. That's the thing about AP Hill. There ain't shit out there. It's a training post with a bunch of ranges and navigation courses that are grown over and 50 years out of date. The only barracks are the ones our company was staying in. 
They are only used when a unit is there to train. Even the shitty Mini PX was only open some days, and only when a unit was there. This is why, about three quarters through our shift, it was weird as hell that we heard female voices outside of the tent. This was back in 2000 to 2001 time frame, so there weren't any females in infantry units then. And we would have known if there were a bunch of transportation or MP units about. It was just us. Naturally, what we had to guard the blank ammunition with was flashlights and our swinging dicks. We looked at each other, and asked if the other heard the voices. Yep. Those of you who have served know that after a week in the field, even if it's a shitty little broke down fort with nothing going on, seeing an attractive member of the opposite sex is fantastic. And hearing lilting young ladies' voices will bring something good to a heart that's been used to suck mode for a bit. But that all changes when you're on an essentially empty post, and you shouldn't be hearing shit. We managed to muster the courage to poke our heads out of the tent and shine a flashlight around. We could see the trailer, the latrine, and a bunch of trees. No lights. No movement. Just voices on the wind. Yep. We decided that voices on the wind didn't constitute a reason to leave our posts, and guarded that kerosene heater very assiduously for the rest of our shift. No need to leave the tent. Just guard the heater.